0: talk about
1: revolution
0: that's going
1: a little bit too far so love me love me love me I'm hello and welcome to another episode of more like the worst wing it's a very spooky halloween spectacular because not only is this a wild episode we have our very first guest star on the show i'm Stu. i'm dressed up as a certain specter that's haunting the bourgeois And I'm Dave, and I'm not dressed up, but I am also scary. (laughs) And joining us today is my wife, Emma. Say hello, Emma.
2: Hello.
0: Joining us for this episode entitled The Women of Kumar, uh, appropriately enough to have our first female guest.
2: Very excited to listen to you guys trash something that has created my job in (laughs) professional life.
1: So the reason... I'll be I'll be frank. One of the reasons that this even came on my radar, the idea for the podcast in general, is that Emma has been a West Wing fan for the entire time. I mean, basically since the show came out mm-hmm. and the entire time that I've known her. And so her command of the show is nothing short of like complete. Yes. I think would be the word. I yes. O- oftentimes
0: <laughs> when Stu and I are discussing various West Wing trivia facts and their need to know. Yeah whether one character did a thing or whatever, I'll often hear Emma chiming in from the background, uh, providing the correct answer.
2: (laughs) I'm not being facetious when I say, I do what I do because of this TV show.
0: Mm. And, and, you know, I was a fan too for a long time. I'm less of a fan now. I'm I'm definitely still something, given that we're committed enough to this project to be discussing each of the episodes, even in a critical eye. But yeah, it's... You know, well, we've spilled a lot of words about the topic of the show over many, many episodes. It's quite a conundrum, uh, as we'll see when we get into this episode. Uh, so where do we want to start? Just straight from the
1: cold open? Yeah, so the there's a lot of things going on in this episode, honestly. Yes. Um, the, the, the central sort of issue, there are a couple things happening, one of which, the reason that it's entitled The Women of Kumar is that there is a putative arms deal being made where the United States will be selling weapons to a what's basically a fictitious either emirate or some sort of petrol nation yeah. in the Middle East. Called the vibe Kumar. I
0: always got was sort of like a United Arab, Arab Emirates kind of thing, but um, definitely Saudi Arabia uh, as well, as we'll see throughout this episode, mixed in a lot into this
1: fictional Middle Eastern Kumar country. Yeah. And so that's the, the, the through, I guess the through issue that we deal with as mm-hmm. CJ wrestles with the sort of the rail politique if you will, of dealing with, Hey, we need this air base, which of, frankly, we probably don't of basically <laughs> being,
0: being allies with this country that is yeah. uh, treating its women.
1: So shittily. Yeah. So there's a lot of things going on that we can just kind of get into a little bit less structuredly. However, I do want to. One thing that goes on in this episode is, <laughs> is beef panic. Yeah. <laughs> so, it comes out at some point that there has been, actually very early, um, Leo is tasked with dealing with what has been found to be a verified or potentially verifiable case of uh, bse which is bovine spongiform encephalopathy AKA otherwise known cow exactly which is a incredibly dangerous disease that's transmitted by little be little misformed proteins called prions and basically they go through this thing and they're like holy shit we might have to test every single fucking cow in the united states and remove All beef products from every grocery store. From the food supply. (laughs) From the food Uh, supply. (laughs) And every fast
0: food place and every restaurant and et cetera, et cetera. So there's a big back and forth about the merits of do we tell the public that there's a possible scare or do we wait until we have confirmation before we tell anyone lest we cause an undue panic when perhaps we needn't have.
1: Yeah, and I mean... (laughs) It's it's pretty great because the the president always like there's a couple scenes where he's referring to beef as like a thing that underpins the American experience. Right. It's like it's like Jimmy Stewart at Christmas and you know fucking the NFL. Right. Beef makes America work. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> like, what's for dinner. Yeah. Oh shit.
0: Um. Yeah. <laughs> at, w- at one point, Toby says, "You know, this isn't sushi or something. It's it's hamburgers." As if to say, you know, <laughs> it's not, not not that weird food that other cultures eat every day. It's the food that our culture eats every day. Yeah,
1: not that weird coastal elitist junk. Uh, Latte-sipping liberals eating, you know, weird fish products. It's beef. And, I mean, my only observation about this issue was basically, like, can you imagine the jump that we would have gotten on climate change if there had been a like, national emergency declared over beef production in 2001.
0: If only. Yeah. Imagine if we had a 9-11 of beef, you know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Beef 9-11, baby! That's another 200 million tons of CO2 that we can just, you know, put against the ledger, and it would have been had generational effects anyway. Mm. So, um, let's see. The... The rest we, of the episode... Do we want to get into um, Amy Gardner? So let's talk briefly about sort of the the structure of the rest of the episode. Okay. CJ has this conflict with um, the women of Kumar. With, Josh... With, yeah, go ahead. Josh is tasked with... Um, by the first lady, right? Correct. Um, with dealing with the wording of a treaty that's going out or being signed, correct. Um, that the UN, I believe, is publishing. UN? Correct.
0: Yes, UN treaty. They're they're gonna U.S. is gonna ratify it, but they have concerns about the language of the treaty.
1: Yeah, and they're specifically uh, they they hinge the concerns hinge around one word, which is the coupling of the word "forced" with the word "prostitution." Mm-hmm. In terms of, it's it's regulating like or, or outlawing sex trafficking on an international scale. Right. Um, or
0: it's saying, like, you know, we will not be, you know, allies with countries that allow forced prostitution.
1: Yep. Um, and so Josh is essentially handed this issue to, to fix because it's at the urging of a certain lobbyist who we meet. She's played by Mary Louise Parker, who... Mm-hmm. Newer, younger audiences may know from the show Weeds. Um, She's the mom in Weeds, the main character in Weeds. I've never actually Um, seen
0: Weeds, but I've heard good things.
1: Well, (laughs) my wife's sitting here making faces being like, oh my God. The first
2: three seasons are fantastic.
1: Yeah. uh...
0: Then it
2: jumps the shark. Hmm.
0: Good to know. But uh yeah she's Josh she's, goes over to talk she's, to her. she's great. Uh her her and Bradley Whitford have very interesting chemistry. Uh I'll put it that way. But the, they have this interesting back and forth that kind of takes up I would say like the other main bit of the episode besides the I mean it's tied into the women of Kumar subplot. Um even, even though it's not kind of CJ's end of it. But they, yeah, they have a back and forth that goes. So she's in charge of a women's lobbyist organization. Do we get the name? Does it matter? Not really.
2: It is a, um, it's called the Women's Leadership Coalition. Thank you. um, I knew she would know. It is a fictional women's lobbying group. Right. um, But has all the tropes of. The other traditional groups and amy gardner herself as we will learn in later episodes um, was issues director for the national organization of women right she was political director of emily's list um, right so she um she is within the canon of women's organizations on the national level right um, and so the women's leadership coalition is supposed to be a fictionalized version of of one of these groups
0: right and josh as sort of our sorkin talking head entry point into this new world that the show is now exploring this this world of of women's issue lobbying uh (laughs) comes in and is extremely immediately like freudianly humiliated by the uh powerful artwork of women uh, adorning the walls and make sure to express how masculinely fragile he is
1: at seeing powerful women.
2: We can be scary. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and so this kind of the, the the interaction as it sort of it becomes clear from the two characters going back and forth it's it's almost like this character was a weird opportunity to write a new female character into the show. But also it's like strictly in service of Josh and them having a romantic interaction.
0: Absolutely. Uh, they're, they're, they're flirting pretty much from the word go. Uh, and they have a lot of, like I said, they do have a lot of good chemistry, the actors, uh, and we'll see a recurring thing as, so Amy Gardner, as, uh, Emma said, will be showing up frequently in future episodes And we'll see their interactions kind of take on this, and what we're seeing is the first version of this play out of where Josh brings an issue to Amy, but mostly uses it as an excuse to just talk to her because he doesn't really know how to flirt any other way other than bringing political issues to someone
1: is Josh's way of flirting. (laughs) It's like, hey, did you read this blog? (laughs) Essentially, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so that is sort of like we, we we meet amy gardner in this episode um and so those two things are are set up uh the women of kumar and and the sort of the international sex trafficking treaty are set up as this back and forth where it, it flips from one to one but it's it's understood to all be sort of tied into the similar theme it's all about you know we're, we're getting past the sorkin sexism here even though we're really clearly not
0: <laughs> but, <laughs> In, in some senses yes but yeah it's trying to speak to more sort of a global agenda about women or women's issues or at least the show is trying to uh it doesn't really ever get there and doesn't actually really have anything authoritative to say but we'll get into that more uh as we discuss it further let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll uh, we'll dig more into this
1: The Kumar negotiations with the treaty. Um, basically, we, we're selling them weapons, and we're it's a clear we're, we're releasing
0: analog. an airbase to make it to make it clear. So uh, there's an airbase that they that we have there, and we pay them to lease it, and the lease is coming up. And so to release it, not only do we just give them straight up cash for the lease, but we also give them a slick deal on some weapons as like a, as a bonus or something, uh, all just because it's nice and convenient to have a base in Kumar.
1: Yeah. And again, the understanding is that it's, it's generic Middle Eastern territory because, mm-hmm. you know, it is, the, it is the a strategi- of oil. It is
0: a somehow <laughs> fictional yet strategically valuable country. Exactly.
1: <laughs> and, so, like, there's the, it's this litany of military hardware, you know, tanks and anti air missiles and whatnot. All the and goodies. And yeah, All the stuff that playful. Iron Man
0: rolled out in his little demo in the first movie.
1: And so we get. We aren't initially set up to expect, like, to, it to go the way it does, no. but it becomes Im- immediately clear that. It's so like, it's something. I that, think they say out loud, they say CJ's going to have a problem.
0: Right. So it's something. No, they say
2: CJ's going to be cool with this, which is one of. Many massively condescending lines that men use to talk about women in this episode. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so they come to the president. So in the first five minutes, C.G.'s going to be cool with this, right?
0: Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where he's he's like, oh, don't make sure them dames don't go flying off the handle. Uh, yeah,
2: As we said we can we can get rowdy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, it's very patriarchal. Uh, and that kind of attitude towards this whole, yeah, yeah, uh-oh, is CJ going to have a problem kind of aspect of it. But then, yeah, so it gets fed into her briefing meeting. And during the briefing meeting, you know, they basically just be like, look, this is just an item we need you to read out. And then she starts to, uh, she brings up the moral objections of, you know, the way women in Kabar are treated. And she lifts off, you know, many examples that are, very modern and key to like how women are treated in places like Saudi Arabia and non-fictional countries. Uh.
2: Well, it's an interesting comparison. Um, the first scene where CJ is informed that this is happening, mm-hmm. she starts doing whatever what most people think women do, which is she starts getting very emotional, mm-hmm. and that's when Toby says, "Don't start." And she looks back at him and says, don't start. What? And stops herself because she's getting emotional Mm -hmm, while having a very strong reaction to a political move. If you contrast that to the way that Amy Gardner behaves when she is being confronted with an opposing viewpoint, she's described as, quote, always irate about something. (laughs) But actually, Amy is very professional. She lists out her arguments in very calm and concrete manners, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's probably what makes her more more of a foil for Josh than the arguments that CJ and Toby will end up having, where she continues to become more and more unhinged and more and more really emotional about the situation that she's
0: dealing with. I get what you're saying. So like whereas Toby gets to play the role of sort of logic and reason versus the emotional CJ, Amy and Josh are more on a footing of equals where they're each presenting their arguments in the more sort of intellectually West Wing emotionless way.
2: CJ ends the episode nearly Nearly,
0: before she pulls it all back to go and actually deliver the briefing. You're right. Yeah, it's a very it's a very emotional like mind for TV drama kind of moment.
1: And I ha- I hadn't thought about it because it's because frankly, Amy Gardner and again we'll talk a little bit more about her, but like she delivers her lines in a in a fashion mm-hmm. that is similar to Joss's. She right. does not give she, a shit. She has this cavalierness she's got about that her That
0: you know, wittiness, uh, snappiness to her dialogue that all of our mains usually have when they're not, you know, being quote unquote emotional. Yeah,
2: there is one moment where. um Josh asks, What how is that not forced prostitution? And you can see her getting angry where she's she calms herself. She right. does a little thing with her face. She's like, In the last in the last ten years, and then goes into her argument. Mm-hmm. Um but that's it. She's very calm and collected and rational. Whereas a good point. the family inside the West Wing is full of emotion and right. feeling like you know, you've wronged me. How are you not listening to me? Right. Which is a longer thematic thing about CJ and the Boys uh, Club.
0: The sort of internal strife within, yeah, within the White House. That's a good point. And, yeah, and that's what sets Amy up, not just as a foil, but also as a love interest for Josh, where she's basically female Josh. And I guess that's, in a weird way, Sorkin's ultimate compliment to a woman is to just make them the mirror of his male protagonists.
1: <laughs> and I think we've, we've talked about this before, where it's like, if Sorkin wants to make a point and deliver it via a woman character's mouth, he's just he's just thinking to himself, well, how would I say it, except I'm a woman, <laughs> except I'm a girl. Like.
2: Well, to bring it back to the the f- first part of this, which is that you're talking about the women of Kumar. Mm-hmm. One, the most like wide brush that you could paint of like all women of Kumar right. obviously have the same <laughs> all the
0: X experience. Experience. All X million they, Kumari women. Right, right? They all
2: feel exactly the same way. Right. Um, but he has the moral argument come from a woman and not from one of the many male characters. This typically would be something that I would think Sam would be up in arms about one would think yeah it's relegated to a rather small secondary subplot right um but it almost feels like sorkin thinks the only way to have an argument about women's rights is for a woman to have it Mm -hmm.
1: and and to work it out almost internally because Mm -hmm. she she is put up against cj's put up against toby throughout the thing she's put up against nancy mcnally as a as a female foil, yes. even to her thoughts. Well, and that's about what it. finally, right? And that's, that's what
2: finally stops her mm-hmm. is that another woman has come in and said, "Get your shit together." Uh, it said,
0: <laughs> "The shit's complicated. Everyone has guns. Uh, turns out, human rights is hard." Okay, bye. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and and it's 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 telling again of the kind of the foreign policy, like realpolitik. It's that well, you know, this is just this this militarism this inherent militarism is just it's understood like you right. can't change the baseline here right. even though we know you as one of the probably 20 most powerful people in the fucking world that could actually can do, do that do thing. <laughs> right. anything they want about this issue yeah we're, we're not gonna because it just needs to be understood like it's just easier that way right and so
0: ultimately cj ends up swallowing the the, the argument she's been making the entire episode and just delivering the the news as they requested, and and her con her condolence her her payoff is that Toby makes a ha- half-hearted hand over his heart. Mm, oh darn, I feel real bad about that. That you had to do that just now, and that's what we end our fucking episode on.
1: <sighs> yeah and it's just it's trite and garbage because it's so bad again, sort like,
0: of even richard schiff looks like he realizes how lame and and nothing it is as he delivers well, it. i think this is
2: this is typically billed as one of the special, th- I mean, the character CJ and Toby have a long history right. as we continue to learn about throughout the rest of the series. Right? Um, they are clearly incredibly close. As we know as from flashbacks, he's
0: the one who recruits her for the Bartlett campaign to begin with.
2: Totally. Um, so this is usually billed as one of those moments between these two friends mm-hmm. that is really special and speaks to how they can have a moment without any words. And um, that's crap (laughs) and um the scene the last thing that you see with toby prior to to that is the president ushering him out of the oval office and saying go apologize to cj and toby says but i did nothing wrong and the president says like that even
0: matters right
1: yeah because you know how women be shopping
0: it's yeah it's it's still what I find interesting is th- this episode had three women on the story by credits, uh, but is still written entirely by Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> yeah. And boy, does it Ooh. show! <laughs> yeah.
1: No shit. And yeah, you wrote here, it's, look, sometimes the dames just want you to send them some flowers or something. (laughs) It's like, okay, thanks, man. Way to wrap this up here. Yeah, We we are easily bought. (laughs) New carpet and paint, I think is what Uh.
2: CJ highlights about the airbase. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Well, yeah, and I mean, again, just with with the Nancy McNally thing is that for in the times that we've seen this character prior it is actually like it's supposed to be like this is a this is a subversion of the typical man's world of the military like i i guess i guess uh, yeah side of the administration and here it's well okay but it's sort of betraying the fact that she is almost i don't want to say like bought and sold but it's very just like i i do this and i i fall in line rather than i i I, like, work to change things. Right.
2: Well, as if you look into what's happening right now um, with things around the Me Too movement and Hollywood and, you know, within, I mean, across the country, but also particularly within the feminist movement, there's a lot of discussion around what women did to protect Harvey Weinstein and how women could have helped each other or how do you tell your stories non-disclosure agreements all those pieces mm-hmm. this is an interesting example of would cj be considered less professional if she went out to the podium while representing the president and bashed an an ally and went against administration policies right well and that isn't she
0: that's a great point isn't she
2: being more professional by doing her by, job yeah,
0: yeah. by showing the line she,
2: everyone has those moments every character has had those moments about you know when you, Sam
0: often has them. Yeah,
2: Sam has them all the time. Mm-hmm. And when you shut up, and this is the line, and that's what makes this hard, and this is public service. And this is and why it's
0: hard. People doing hard things, as as Sorkin loves to write about. But no, that's a fantastic point you just brought up. Is that? Um, oh man, my brain was just going somewhere with it,
1: and then it completely <laughs> lost it. Well, you draw the contrast between how the the when it happens to a character like Sam who's understood to? it's just normal that a male character acts in that way, and this dramatizes oh. it.
0: Okay, got it. I got it. Uh, so you said yes. if, she, if she went up on the podium <laughs> and lambasted Kumar, doesn't she, it, has it already happened or will it happen later on? But at some point she goes up to the podium and lambasts Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, she does. Um, and and like concludes later, with this whole it, like list of their crimes, and then ends with like. And by the way, that's Saudi Arabia. Or I keep saying Saudi. Arabia, Saudi Arabia are partners in peace.
2: Yeah, it's um, later this so season. It's later. called okay. Enemies, Foreign and Domestic. Okay, um, so she will basically will do
0: that with with a real country, <laughs> and and yet they won't let her do it with this fictional country because. They're either trying to sell, like, the meta lesson, like you said, of this is this is the line, and this is what makes doing this job hard, is sometimes you have to know where the line is, even though you want to speak out.
2: Well, and ironically enough, and this depends on how cynical you want to be, and this is what it is when you live with Stu. Very. <laughs> um, is that blow up about Saudi Arabia sets CJ up for... Her romantic interest and her uh,
0: long story. oh my god with uh so, with, who? The, with the with cia with the cia agent i mean right. a yeah.
2: wonderfully beautiful man <laughs> and it's a great story he's a good looking man but let's not, let's not lie that does it create you're right because that, that does out. that
0: and that would leads to the threats which leads to the cia protect bingo bongo boombo thing
2: a woman has spoken out she has Taken a stand, right. and now she is threatened, and the only way to end that is to have a, to be fair, beautiful and very handsome, <laughs> yeah, big strong silver man. Fox. God, he's come in and protector. Those her. fucking baby
0: blues. <laughs> uh you get lost in them. Um,
1: so before before we leave the the C J Kumar thing behind, I would like to give props to how she blows into this meeting between Toby and these World War Two. Oh yeah, and it's just like, <laughs> hey, so pure hypothetical here i'm not talking about anything <laughs> first, real first at all first of all getting
0: getting old world war II veterans to go on a hypothetical hunt to begin with is like a, an um, already ad, an a hefty feat of of getting them to follow you <laughs> But yeah, she's like, hypothetically, imagine the Nazis still had like a few countries and what have you, and we were going to give them uh, a bunch of military deals in exchange for renting a Nazi air base. Would you be cool <laughs> with that?
1: It's, it's great because the, the veterans are like, well, that would have never happened. It's like, well, why not? Oh, yeah. And, it's and like, because, say, like, and because
0: and... the Russians would have fucking whooped their asses.
1: And to be fair, that's exactly... That is correct. (laughs) Correct. But it's also like, it it flirts with the line of, this is what you understand as reality based on your inability to conceive of any other alternative. Like, yes, your friends died in this war, ideally, hopefully, for probably the last time in history, fighting for a noble cause. (laughs) Um, But it's also just like, yeah and these things are still happening in places in the world mm-hmm. so also um it's just like toby's reaction to her again just blowing up his meeting is, just, is really priceless <laughs> yeah and then she tells him to shove it up his ass <laughs> yeah uh which is quite profane for a network show anyway let's take another yes. break and then we can talk about amy gardner and uh lobby oh, yes! other the other largest portion of this episode centers around the introduction of the character of amy gardner who's played by mary louise parker as i mentioned um uh, does a wonderful great actress does a wonderful job Mm -hmm. and brings to the show an energy that could be considered to be i mean it, it obviously it flies in the face of the calculated professionalism that the administration wants to portray and that we are constantly spoon fed throughout the West wing where it's like, well, we got to look at all sides of everything. We got to compromise every single possible time we can and push this centrism throughout the thing. And Amy Gardner, I mean, to their credit,
0: she is focused. She is, you know, she's driven. She doesn't. Yeah. None of it's the exact opposite of all what you just described.
1: Yeah. And like to their credit, if you needed a time in the third season of a show to juice up some energy, I mean, this is your, this is your Ray moment. Like you, you bring in Ray and it's like, how's it? What, what up, Mr. S? (laughs) Except It's Amy Gardner. And so to me, and I'll ask Emma a little bit about this. um, The value of that character is to provide that contrast, particularly in this particular episode um, face to face with like the cold, like calculating competence of what cj is then forced to do with the one issue
2: yeah um i would say as a young person watching the west wing as as it was airing um to be
1: clear we were 17 when this episode first aired live
2: um amy gardner provided a not just a foil, but Amy was another way to be involved in politics mm-hmm. that is not a candidate, mm-hmm. hanger her on, yeah, and she's, is not She's from the
0: outside looking in. Uh, she is a
2: lobbyist. Yeah. She, she is an advocacy, she's an activist and an, and an advocacy lobbyist. And I, I'm not kidding when I say I do what I do because of her. I am a lobbyist. That is my profession. Um, I work primarily at the state legislative level, but I am a advocacy and issue lobbyist. I've worked on reproductive health rights and gun violence prevention and voting rights and anti-corruption. And it is because of Amy Gardner that I knew that was even an option. I will say it's because of Amy Gardner and Sidney Ellen Wade, another sort of character character, (laughs) that I even understood that that was a profession you could have that you could be involved in politics and and impact change outside of latching on to a charismatic candidate right. and sticking with them forever
0: right so, and it's an interesting foil for our mains who are you know who get to walk the halls of power because they did stick around a candidate versus this outside path to you know the other half of the of the process from the outside coming in Amy's
2: there if Jed Bartlett wins re-election or not. Right. And she is there if he doesn't get the party's nomination and it's somebody else. Her work does not end with the next
0: election cycle. It's institutional power, essentially. Yes,
2: Some would say a better place to be in (laughs) if you are talking (laughs) about career political operatives.
1: Mm -hmm. And so at the time that this was was being put on TV I mean something that I was curious about I just kind of did, I did some very rudimentary research it was like again as a 17-year-old woman watching television in 2001 this character was probably like un not I don't want to say unprecedented because there's always something I mean Sidney Allen Wade was precedent of this by 5 years but um, the other f- Female characters on late on primetime television. It was like Rachel Uh, and friends,
0: uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Thank you very much.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she was, um, she's a badass, but she also was. I mean, CJ is in what I would argue is the most female-appropriate yes. role 100%. in the White House. 100%. She's the communications person.
0: Right. She's and, marketing. And based off the actual Clinton White House where they had Dee Myers. D.D. Myers. So, yeah. So, obviously, they're they're basing it off that where, like, oh, but, you know, you're the talkie. You're the communicator type, right. you know, with all your um, downstairs business.
2: Ironically enough, the only other woman in... High enough power in the Bartlett administration is Nancy McNally, who, weirdly enough, the same actress plays the press secretary in the American President, where we meet oh, Sydney Ellen Wade.
0: I completely forgot about that.
2: Um, so CJ, who is—I mean, I would do anything for Allison Janney. Like, oh woman yeah,
0: is incredible. Oh, she's—we f- often sing her praises. We often, of yeah, we are—we yeah. are, we are a big fans
1: of CJ.
2: She's a phenomenal character, and Allison Janney is a yes. tremendous actress.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But to have amy gardner come in where not only is she beautiful and brilliant Mm -hmm. she offers a new interpretation of feminism that i think was at least i and my girlfriends of the time were we had never seen a feminist look like that Mm -hmm. she wasn't radical Mm -hmm. i don't know what josh is talking about when he says she's always irate about something well she flat out says (laughs) i like my bras Mm -hmm. i i ring your bell when it's important Mm -hmm. i'm not sitting here screaming at the side of the building every time you do something i don't like i call you when as the expert on this issue i call you when you are doing something stupid
0: and i think that josh painting her as radical is some sorkin sexism creeping in where any woman who, any woman who is you know passionate about a thing is of course being radical about it because women have hysterics and you know etc according to sorkin's boomer brain
1: well yeah and i mean the boomer brain even the bra, like not i'm not burning my bra right line well, like what a reference is very like, much like
0: like, wh- how old is Mary? Mary Louise Parker is not old enough for that line to work for her anyway. She's
1: like in her mid-40s now, I yeah, think. Like, yeah. Her well, upper was... 40s, maybe. But... She was a twinkle in her
0: daddy's eye when <laughs> yeah. the actual bra burnings were happening.
2: Right. I mean, I will say the other strong woman character that we get a lot in the West Wing, who is also just a bastion of all things wonderful in this world, is is Abby, who is yes. a professional. And I was going to bring has... up Abby is incredibly She, she arguably has
0: more political power than Nancy or CJ, really.
2: True. But it's in the form of a Through very... Through her husband. Yes. Yeah, it's very conservative. She is the doting wife. And as we've seen earlier in this season, um actually I think it's the end of the second season, when she starts saying, when did I think women were going to like me more when I went by Mrs. instead of Doctor? Right. And she yells at the president saying like, I've... Based on polls, I've decided I've changed my hair and and figured out what I was going to wear for you. Right, and Amy is is another layer of these women. She comes in as a full professional. She has a life outside of outside of these men that Abby and CJ serve. That's their job and their life is is the white house Mm -hmm. and there's amy at five o'clock in in the evening walking out of the gym and ready to have another political go-round with josh walking back to her office is that what we're calling
0: it now a political (laughs) political (laughs) go-round
2: it's a it was a powerful character to see and to see come back and be as we will see as their relationship continues yes um the sparring partner who does not need him and yes. Josh or any man she is a fully functioning professional
1: and that blows and Josh away in many
0: ways and he can't kind of deal with it
1: i mean he is really he's just fucking clumsy around her and he does I'll, the goddamn s- Sorkin thing with <laughs> yeah. the Ellen Derbe, a speech by Eleanor Roosevelt once started. <laughs> and Amy just wait, waits for him to stop talking and is like... Eleanor she was Roosevelt's on that.
2: the one who likes hats, right? <laughs> Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, love, I love the way she just sniffs out all of his shit and is like, look, you didn't actually have to come out here. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> She's very she's very good at immediately sniffing out his his normal go-to tactic of bring her a political thing so that we can actually flirt a little.
2: She also gets and this sounds really silly, but she works in this like amazing office and she has mm-hmm. like she's got these great views and the art. And it is it is a different way of looking at influence and power and and the presence of being in D.C. and being in this world when you're not in the tiny little cubicle that Donna has to sit in or you're not in the full regalia of First Lady, this is another another viewpoint of influence and credibility.
0: Right. Yeah, you're well, right. There's, there's sort of the, the, the different level where you're, like you said, you're Donna-level cubicle or you're, like, First Lady in the mural room with very little in between, and then here's Amy with her own variation that can so- be free to be its own thing
1: the the fact that this show has so clearly influenced like an entire generation of Emma quite quite like you and right. there's an entire generation of people who do your job that have been clearly like inspired and influenced by this show to me and and we spend a great deal of time ragging on this class of people in our podcast because we find it to be inadequate to the times in 2019 whereas this this brand of centrism and compromise is is no longer
0: well you see it less from like the low level staffers or like the activists on the show and you see it more from our mains who have to constantly like ride this compromise line i find often like that the low level or intern level people will actually be quite passionate about one particular thing and Sorkin will sort of use them as a sounding board for that thing. When
1: well, we find that in Teladonna's, I think most specifically, mm-hmm. where Donna has a... Where like she a, gets persnickety about whatever yeah. the,
0: the issue of the episode is, exactly.
1: But I think what... It's interesting to me that the, the again, the... Sort of the philosophy that emerged from the people that are influenced by this show cleaves to that, you know, the, the centrism of high rhetoric and compromise... Rather than to the like the understood sort of aloofness and principle that Amy Gardner portrays, mm. and so to me, it's, it's bizarre that all these you know the people who have become the administrations since, and particularly in the Obama administration, ended up in that vein of political operative rather than the Amy vein, Emma. How how do you how would you portray yourself in sort of that realm when you do your work? Because obviously there nothing gets done without a certain amount of either either party voting for it. But I'm I'm curious how you how you kind of frame your philosophy and your work around that.
2: I mean, I go through most of my work. A good question I ask people is, do you see yourself or your organization or your office as more West wing or more veep. (laughs) And more often than not, now I veep is now the answer. Um, The West wing, the West wing seems to be an ideal for progressives and a very easy dartboard for conservatives. I think there are a group of us that saw this show as an opening to a variety of options in the political sphere. Um, I worked on campaigns for like candidate campaigns and I will never do it again (laughs) Um, because it's unless you are in the room as you know with as Josh and CJ and Toby are with Bartlett and as others become later on in the series, um, it's really not fun and it's really not fun to lose. Then there are the others who they moved to DC immediately. That's all they want to do is just be in DC and it was around Obama and I think sure. that's why you got a lot of very young people really sure, interested sure. in the administration. Mm-hmm. And then there's the group of us that really saw, this other option and i i credit amy gardner with that um that there were ways to be the consistent experts in the room that weren't about the political the you know back and forth and bipartisan stuff this is obviously the work i've done tends to lean more liberal lefty fine um (laughs) But I will say I worked on gun violence prevention in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I was in the Dakotas and I'm in, I was in Missouri.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I did reproductive health rights in the Deep South, mm. um, wow. mainly yeah. in South Carolina and Mississippi. And that's,
0: that's where it needs it.
2: It was a lot of job security. That work is not going to be over anytime soon. But that's the stuff that for me as a political philosophy It is about finding the compromise and the middle ground and how do you make incremental change? How do you show conservatives that these issues are not actually that far lefty and they can help they can help you reinforce the issues that you're selling your voters? And at the same time, how do you get liberals to see the good that they can be doing and not to go off the deep end wanting the world and not seeing the power of incremental change. So for me this kind of character who pushes big ideals and sees a broader influence and and really what can happen from something like a single word. The the calm demeanor, the knowing your shit backwards and forwards and being able to to talk about it in a number of different perspectives and variety of of ways that she does, that's really that's the kind of influence and inspiration that I take from from this show into my really my day to day
1: work. Hmm. So when we were talking about this, you mentioned um, you used a word that I found that I think is is super interesting to describe how you approach trying to get things done is that you have to have respect was the specific word you used for and then
2: you yelled at me for it
1: well look and i'm gonna i'm gonna put you on the spot again here (laughs) you have to have respect for conservative viewpoints now i mean when i hear that when i hear the word respect it speaks to me of you have to give their perspective equivalent intellectual weighting So when someone says that they believe that life begins at conception, for example, you have to look at that and say, oh, that's the the proceeds from that and how they want to enact and enforce that is deserving of respect. Whereas to me, the better framing of it is respecting the levers of power that they can influence to drive that forward. Can you clarify, kind of a little bit of how how you reconcile your your personal beliefs, I guess, with the work that you try to get done? Because I understand that it's impossible to get work done without doing that.
2: Giving a very interesting insight into our marriage. <laughs> um, I no, I do. I think if for that for that argument, I do have to respect it. I don't have to agree with it, but. That is a viewpoint that millions of people genuinely believe. And if I don't see it as a full-on argument worthy of my response, then I'm screaming at the wind because it doesn't matter. So to understand that someone actually believes that life begins at conception, which I do not, um, that is the reason that that has a, policy implication is because it outlaws not only birth control, but also things like in vitro fertilization. And that's actually the argument that I would use in those situations. Typically, the people who believe that life begins at conception are very pro-family. They are very pro-baby and want people to have as many children as possible. Therefore, when they learn that that legal clarification, if you le- if you codify that belief, which is a religious definition of a religious belief, um, if you codify that into law, you are you are going to impact something that that same group of people really likes, which is in vitro fertilization and fertility treatments. Having the respect for that argument, whether or not I agree with it, means that I can put myself in those people's shoes, try to understand where that argument is coming from, and then think of the counter-argument. What would it take for for you to convince me that that perspective is incorrect or that I should soften my stance and agree with you? And if you can't do that, then you're, well, then this is what Congress looks like. That's that's what will happen, is we will not get anywhere.
1: A nation full of God-fearing pregnant nationalists. Typically with um, a lot of firearms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. that they're, they're all armed. Not um, that I think that's
2: bad. If you can pass a background check, I'm all for it. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, well, and I think the, the uh, thing that really... Uh, are, we're are we're, you, we're are running you... real long here. Uh, let's, <laughs> no. all right. let's just... Uh, we can let's, wrap up.
0: Let's take a quick break here, and then let's uh, okay. we'll wrap up here. Okay. The girls they love- I think that mostly does it for this fun, exciting, guest star-filled episode of The Worst Wing. Uh, thank you to Emma for joining us. It was delightful. My pleasure. Uh, <laughs> awesome. I, will, I
2: will admit yeah. I have never listened to an episode. And
0: <laughs> well, that's song. about to
1: change. <laughs>
0: You're going to at least have to listen to this one because you
1: heard it all as you were recording yeah, it. that's right. This is all just being put directly in the machine.
0: I'm, I'm counting you as a play on SoundCloud. That's right. One Fair. one so of the many dozens. We're, we're at, Yeah, we're adding plus one to this particular episode's play count. Um, so the next episode we will be discussing uh, is called Bartlett for America, uh, which is more about the president's MS... Uh, investigation. Uh, Cliff Callie comes back up. Uh, we get Agent Mike Casper, aka Agent Phil Colson, aka Clark Gregg, uh, about some burnings with black churches in Tennessee. And then, um, so yeah, that should be a fun episode to discuss.
1: Yeah, that's coming up. Um, before I was actually, it, it's kind of convenient that this episode came up. When it did, I want to make sure that I shout out. There's an article um, that I'll put in the show oh, notes. Yes. Um, in the most, I'm, I'm midway through it. It's quite good. The most recent N plus one, which is a fantastic magazine. If you've got spare dollars, please subscribe. Um, by a a woman who is a sex where she's a porn star. Um, her name, I think, her trade name is Lorelai Lee, um, but she wrote an article about basically the the very hazy moral justification and sort of uh, blurred lines between in in the context of this show forced prostitution and legal prostitution it's a fascinating article I read it like two weeks ago and I still think about it you know Laura so.
2: Liley is Marilyn Monroe's most famous part from Gentlemen Prefer Blondes
1: no shit. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh. it's the character that sings diamonds are a girl's best friend
1: thank god you're here
2: fantastic movie um.
1: <laughs> this is so cool this was not scripted by
2: the way it <laughs> awesome. jane, so. it's jane russell Marilyn monroe <laughs> it's a phenomenal film
1: <laughs> anyway you gotta check this uh, article out i'll put the uh, link in the show notes
0: excellent alright so thank you all for listening as always you can drop us a line in the thread if you found us a different way you can shoot us an email at theworstwing69 at gmail.com <laughs> nice nice and uh, we will see you all next time for another fun episode
1: thanks everybody bye 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 send all the money you asked for but don't ask me to come on along so love me love me. I'm a